You just heard me tell the kids that we must worship God with our heart. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. So I'm going to ask you, you can say it vocally, are you ready to worship God with all your heart? You should have been doing it already, but preaching of the Word is not a one-way conversation. All right? It's me proclaiming and you vocalizing your agreement as we both communicate with God and then God communicates back to us. You know, many churches used to have, and some of them still do have a what they call an amen corner in the church, in the sanctuary. And it could be composed of one saint, that's right, saint. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a holy one because his blood covers your sin, therefore you are a saint. So composed of one saint or many saints. And they would register agreement of what's being said from the pulpit. Shouts could be heard at various times throughout the service. Could be during a prayer service, could be during the preaching, it could be during a song service. But these exclamations of praise were not done just to hear themselves, but they were being active participants in the proclamation that's being delivered. Likewise, the preacher is not a performer presenting entertainment for your benefit. I am part of the congregation. I am serving to give expression to the faith that we've all received. And as I speak the word of God, you should listen in way of what I'm saying and reveal your agreement with your voices. Amen and hallelujah. Now, I'm going to pick on my brother here for a second, but if you have the printed text in front of you, look at that text. What is followed by hallelujah? I'm looking at pronunciation. What's there? It's an exclamation point. How dare we read it? Hallelujah. We need to read it as it is written. Hallelujah! So we see in our text today that word is shouted four times since the title of the message, the fulfilled hallelujah. Now, Webster defines that word as a shout or a song of praise, or a song of thanksgiving. In Hebrew, it's made of two words. Hala, meaning to praise, and Yah, which is the first part of Yahweh. So literally the word means, praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, praise God. You can see an example of that in Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise old servants of the Lord, Praise the name of the Lord. So that first word there, praise the Lord, is the Hebrew word, hallelujah. And by the way, in case you're wondering, that word is pronounced the same way no matter what language you're reading it in. So everybody around the world, when they say hallelujah, it's always being pronounced the same way. God has a unique way of doing that. And if a multitude gathered together in heaven, as we will see Shout hallelujah, expressing agreement, expressing a song of praise or thanksgiving. 
If they can do it, then I don't think it will hurt us to practice that now because we'll be doing a lot of it in heaven. A lot of shouting. A lot of giving praise to our God. Look in verse 1. John writing, After these things I heard something like a loud voice. Now after these things is a reference to the overthrow of Babylon we just read about in chapter 18. How Babylon was judged and condemned. And then look back in verse 1. What's this loud voice like? Of a great or vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Now that Greek word translated voice is phoneia. Now if you have the NIV, it translated war. Now this is not a musical salute. That word war would be appropriate. But here's the point. Maybe I'm being nitpicky, but a lot of times when a crowd wars, you can't really make out any words that are being said. If you go to a football game, people start warring of the crowd. You can't really distinguish one word or the other. You may hear some people around you, but it's really hard to distinguish one word over the other. My point is, John specifically hears words as this crowd is lifting up their voice. Now, I don't know how many a multitude is. How many of you have attended any uh, public, not public, pro football games or a place where a crowd just gets out of hand? And it's just really, really loud. You can't hear yourself. You ever been in a place like that? I know Rashonda has. You go with youth sometimes. I'm just wondering how loud that was. And clearly this text is a praise. Because hallelujah. Shout of praise or thanksgiving. And look what it says back in verse 1. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now interesting enough, the word in Greek that you use for belong is not in the Greek text. But belong is used so that you and I will properly understand that God is the only one who exercises perfect power and lives in eternal glory, and he is the only one who provides salvation. God does not have any need of acquiring glory, power, let alone salvation. That all belongs to him. So the basic challenge of man-centered religion or counterfeit religion is to find some aspect of human endeavor that is worthy of salvation. Now, there's many places you can go for this, but I looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following. There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is... None who does good, there is not even one. That's our standing before God without Christ. But there's good news. Eungelion in the Greek, evangelism, good news. Because we have that through Christ. Salvation belongs only to God that's made available only through His grace. You can never be good enough can never be rich enough. There is nothing you can do to get yourself into heaven. I hope you understand that. No matter how good you think you are, you can't get there. Neither can I. 
It's only because of His grace shown through us, through His Son Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross that I can go into heaven. Why the salvation and glory and power belong to Him? Look back in verse 2. His judgments are true and righteous. His judgments are true and righteous. Now, here lately, since uh, DNA has really come on the scene, uh, sometimes we'll hear about someone who's been in prison for a long period of time, come to find out they were innocent, and some evidence is uh, presented, more likely DNA, that tells this person is innocent and they're released. This person may have spent 25 years in prison. But see, God is all-knowing. He has complete knowledge. He knows all things. He's an incapable of making an error like the human justice system does from time to time. His judgment is inevitably true. He is also impeccably just. He's fair. He's impartial. He is unbiased. And in verse 2, picks it up again. His judgments are true and righteous. He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth, the primary exhibit of God's justice. He has condemned the great harlot, speaking of Babylon. Now, back in those days, as is before, sometimes people looked at getting in politics for their own personal gain. What's in it for me? And sadly, we see the same thing even today. But I want to remind all of us, and them as well, there is a day coming when they will have to give an account for their corrupt dealings. Though the earthly court seem to be incapable of curving wickedness. Look what's going on in our society today. Look at the news reports. It seems like it's incapable of restraining wickedness. But one day... Those who do such things will have to answer for what they have done. I point you to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. A day of reckoning is coming. Just because God hasn't acted yet, do not be fooled that he's incapable or doesn't care. What's God waiting for? For all to come to repentance and salvation, not wanting anyone to perish. He is long-suffering. He is so patient. And he's patient with me. And I need patience. <laughs> I couldn't hear her. Tammy's back there running a live stream this morning. Not only that, look back in verse 2. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her, literally in the Greek, from her hand. Now, you remember back in chapter 6, I know it was a long time ago, we looked at the seven-sealed book, and as the fifth seal was being opened, we see saints in heaven crying out, asking how long before justice is served because their blood was spilt. And at that time, in chapter 6, they were told, wait just a little longer. But guess what happens now? That little while has passed, and now judgment is complete. And in verse 3 we read, And a second time they said, Hallelujah! 
Her smoke rises up forever and ever. That her, of course, is Babylon. And that phrase, forever and ever, is literally until the ages of the ages. That's underscoring and that's emphasizing there will be no end to Babylon's torment. It will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. When Jesus comes back and we'll gather home, we'll be in heaven for, with him forever and ever and ever. On the flip side of that, people who don't come to Christ will spend forever in the torment of hell forever and ever and ever and ever. It does not end. And that's so hard for me to wrap my mind around because everything I've experienced here on earth always has a beginning and always has an end. But see, God transcends time. There will be no end. Now, as a side note, and I've said this before, in heaven there is no presence of sin, completely gone, eradicated. We experience God on this earth through worship, through prayer, but there in heaven it will be completely, totally, 100%, not interrupted fellowship and worship of our Lord and our God. But here's something else. Our relationship to each other will be perfect. There will be no sin. There will be no more backbiting, no more gossip, no more jealousy. What in the world does that look like? I have no idea. But I'm so looking forward to experiencing that in heaven. And you look back in, the, in verse 4, it says, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits or who is seated on the throne. What are they saying? Amen. And what? Oh, come on now. <laughs> These are the elders and the four living creatures that were first introduced to us back in chapter 4. Now that word amen, I listened to it pronounced in my uh, software that I have, how you pronounce that in Hebrew, and all I could come up with was men or Abe. I can't see a distinguishing uh, punctuation. I could be wrong. But my point being, it means trustworthy. It's a term used for certainty and affirmation. For example, in Psalm 19.7, now I have New American Standard, it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, but the NIV renders it a little better because it says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They're sure. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures give their full affirmation, amen, and then they conclude with that third shout of hallelujah. Here we come to verse 5. A voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God. Now some say that is the voice of God. And that's certainly a possibility. However, by what is said, it seems unlikely that it came from God himself. Therefore, we're not quite sure exactly who said this. And you look back in verse 5. Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, who fear him, the small and great. Now, bondservant. If you look back in Paul's letters, he calls himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word I believe is used here, but they render it bondservant because you're not a slave by force. 
you're renting yourself as a servant willingly to God. Last night, I'm sad to say, Tammy and I both fell asleep watching this movie on Pure Flicks called Torture for Christ about a pastor back in Romania after the Soviets came in after World War II and declared atheism, atheism to be the natural religion, um, the uh, nation, give me, national religion. Anything proclaiming Christians, specifically Jesus Christ, were tortured. This man was tortured for 14 years, but never broke. His faith never broke. The reason I said that, because one phrase that's uttered in that movie, I thought, wow. A young man, as they witnessed the Soviet soldiers on occupation, that was very dangerous. This young man came to know Christ. He wanted to be baptized, so he got baptized in the bathtub because they're underground, worshiping in houses. So the first thing this young man does, he sees smuggling Bibles to his comrades all over Russia. Now, if he gets caught, probably be, more likely be killed. And so the pastor tells him, hey, be careful. And this guy repeats back, if my life was my own, I'd quit now. But my life does not belong to me. It belongs to Christ. And I wondered, could I say that? When faced with hard times and pressure, my life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. Reality is, dear beloved, that's the truth. If we have come to the knowledge of Christ, trust in him, place our faith in him, our life no longer belongs to us. Our life belongs to him. And that word fear, phobia, we get our English word phobia, that's always used as an appropriate response to God. Now, this is not a quaking fear that you're in tremble, but it's always used in reverence, awe, and wonder. Now, fear is not missing, but it's transcended by the concept of awe and reverence. For example, now all analogies break down, but consider a child who has done something wrong, but he, and she, he or she runs into the arms of their father with tears falling, even though they know their father is going to minister justice, they're going to get in trouble, but they still run to them crying. That's probably the closest picture to biblical fear of God that you can come to. Not quaking, but fearing him because of who he is. And I would say one problem we have at least here in America, across the board, is we have lost the fear of God. We have pulled him down and make him nothing more than a grandpa who sits in the corner, who pats us on our head and says it's going to be okay. That's not our God. Read scripture. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. He's a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. I didn't say that. He said that. And in verse 6, John then writes, I heard something like the voice of a great or vast multitude. Look how he describes it. Like the sound of many waters, cascading waters or rushing waters. And like the sound of mighty peals or rumbles of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. I didn't give justice to that. 
Because he says it sounds like many waters, a vast multitude, like rumbles of thunder. Now, we all live here in North Texas. You've heard those bad storms coming. The thunder rumbles so loud and so hard that your house will begin to shake. And that's how John describes what he is hearing. For the fourth time, there is a shout from heaven ringing throughout the cosmos as all join together in shouting hallelujah. Why do they do this? Look back in verse 6. Because the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Now throughout many generations, there are many who had struggled with the rule of Babylon. Many feeling like, is there any hope? Likewise, you and I can feel like, what's going on when we are dealt with pressures and demands of life? Those can hinder us from seeing this reality that the Lord God, our, our God, reigns. But now it's crystal clear to see that indeed he does reign. And Babylon, which seemed to be invincible, has been destroyed. This message, in my opinion, or this text, is to bring comfort to the people of God. No matter what's going on out there, Praise God, he does reign. And nothing has took him off the throne. Everything is going to his plan and to his purpose. Everything will be dealt with in his timing. Do not give up. Keep on pressing on. I reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and following, and I don't have it memorized. I'm going to have to look down at it from time to time, but turn there if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do. I want to encourage you with these words. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die. That's what he's talking about there. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death! Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and righteous, for He has judged the great harlot who is recorrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Worship God who sits on the throne saying amen and hallelujah. And hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. God had me in mind with this message because I've been beat up. 
constantly from what I see happening in the world, in our country. And I say, oh God, what is going on? He's still on his throne. Tim, trust me. I'll take care of everything. We have lost that in our churches. Why come we don't say hallelujah and amen much anymore? Why are we afraid to express our agreement about what's being proclaimed? You know what I'm talking about. You get that right here in your, almost in your gut, in your heart. You feel like you're going to explode. And yet, <laughs> we don't want to cause any problems and we don't want anybody looking at us. And we silence that. Now, I'm not saying you should do that to make yourself look more pious. It can be overdone, and it does happen from time to time. It can be overdone. But when the Word of God is, is, is presented, uh, even in song, Waymaker. There's some powerful words in that song. There's powerful words in a lot of the hymns and praises that we sing. Here's one. Shout to the Lord. You know the words. Shout to the Lord. Let's just go with that. Well, do you shout like this? Shout to the Lord. No. Shout! Have some conviction and passion. That's what's missing. In, in closing, I will say this. Years ago, in my studies at Southwestern Seminary, I can't tell you who it was. We have great preachers come in during semester. And I went, usually went all the time. And like I said, I can't even remember the text of the guy's name, but he got up in front of all of us. And this is exactly what he did. He stood behind the pulpit there looked at us all and said this, the problem with our churches today, there's no passion and conviction in it. Really? You're going to say it like that? Apparently, there's not, I mean, I, can't, I don't know the guy's heart. Maybe he's not a good public speaker, but you need to have some passion and conviction. As much as I want to say praise the Lord, hallelujah, about he, he's reigning and he's going to come and judge the living and the dead, at the same time, my heart's pulled the other way because there's many more that need to come to him. Friends, family members, neighbors. Maybe some of you in here today don't truly know him. Here in just a minute, we're going to have a song of invitations inviting you to respond to God's call. But it's not just for the people who are coming for salvation. It's open to any of us who seek prayer, who speak time to go talk to our brother and sister. This is our time to spend with God. He's here. Amen. Two or more gathered in my name, there I'll be also. We, we sung praises. The word of God has been proclaimed. He is here. He's calling out to you even now. Come to me. Come, let us sit down and reason there. Come, all you are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. What's going to be your response this morning?
Where is your faith and trust in? If there's any decision, conviction of the Holy Spirit, even now, I, I pray and I encourage you. Literally, no, I take it back. I beg you, do not leave here until you respond to him. All we have is the here and now. And as my wife says, it is called the present because that's exactly what it is. It's a present. I have no idea what's going to happen five minutes from now. I can't do anything about the, about the past. Here and now. Wouldn't you rather take five or ten minutes here and now, wherever it takes, than spend all eternity wishing, why didn't I? Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that indeed you reign. That from the very beginning, you've had a plan. You knew what was going to happen, but God, you still went forward with your plan. Father, forgive us for having self-pity parties sometimes. Because, Father, we know that you reign and that you are coming again, sending your Son. And we know what awaits us. A reward that's we can't even possibly imagine. We know that this world is not our home. Our true citizenship is in heaven. So, Father, I lift all up within the sound of my voice and pray that you would wrap your arms of love and peace around each one and draw them close to your side. Father, continue to reveal yourself to all of us. May we respond in obedience to the call you've placed on our lives. As we said in that song earlier, here am I, all of me. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.